favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good night. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. This informative and entertaining show will start your mornings off on the right foot. Here's your host, Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. Welcome to the Catherine Zox Show. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio every Wednesday live at 10 a.m. Eastern. Joining me this morning are Ellen Lubin Sherman. She's author of The Essentials of Fabulous, because uh, of uh, how to be truly fabulous, and she's going to be talking about the secrets of successful people. Um, uh, and how they are fabulous and how it's essential for us to be fabulous because whatever doesn't work anymore. My next and second guest is Dr. Stephen Reese, Ph.D., who has created a new personality tool for human development, leadership training, and team building, uh, known as RMP, the Reese Motivation Profile. So we're going to find out what it is and why we need it. But first we have our first guest is, Ellen Lubin Sherman, The Essentials of Fabulous, because whatever doesn't work here anymore. Welcome to the show. Nice to have you on this morning, Ellen. Thank you so much for inviting me. Great to have you. First question, Ellen, is why do we have to be fabulous? What's it going to do for us today? It seems like the world isn't too fabulous right now. There are no jobs available. Uh, people are, seem to be unhappy. Uh, you know, So maybe your book is very timely because we really do need to kind of sit back and figure out how we're going to be fabulous and what we can do with it. Well, I think, it's, I think fabulous is really important. I mean, even when I go to the supermarket, I'm always looking for something that somebody recommends to me because they say it's fabulous. It means that you're a standout. And in today's economy where it's a blur of sameness when you apply for a job and 30,000 people are writing in for some listing in jobs.com, how do you get to the top of the pile? And you get to the top of the pile by making sure that everything you send is absolutely top-notch. And if you get that opportunity to get in front of someone, your presentation is absolutely flawless. And people have just developed some very bad habits, leaving their cell phone on, uh, taking a call in the middle of an interview. These are all true stories. Uh, letting their shoes go to seed and not polishing them. So if you want to be the top of the list, you've got to get to the point of being fabulous. All right, so it's important for us to be fabulous. Let's just start, as you just said, if we want to get a job. And, you know, so that, that and obviously that's something that uh, most Americans today are trying to, you know, this is what uh, is, is important right now in our economy. So, okay, be fabulous. Now, you just mentioned some simple things that you think, well, God, are you going to wear shabby shoes? I mean, who would do that? But I guess people do do that. So 
Are you saying it's not too difficult to stand out amongst those thousands of people who are, like, trying to to uh, go after the same job? I mean, you have tips in the book, like, say, ten specific things about how to be fabulous, how to stand out. Well, I, I really believe that it comes from your heart. First of all, you can't project fabulous if you don't really believe you are fabulous. So your product has to be authentic. And you are the product. You are the product. You're the cereal on the, on the shelf in the supermarket. How do you get to, why do you pick Quaker Oats over this one? Why do you pick that? Because the packaging looks great. Or something about it makes you feel like that, that probably tastes delicious. So you have to be that delicious product that people just want on their radar screen. And you do it by extending yourself. I, I just read today's Times about how they uh, fired the head of Yahoo. She actually sent an email. They actually called her on the phone and said, you're fired. And I, uh, this is all part of this trend of dismissing people, not reaching out, not trying to be humanistic. Fabulous people just do things right. They take the time. They send thank you notes. They, they look in your eyes to make sure that all is well so that when you're saying, oh, everything's great, and you look in someone's eyes and you think, nah, something's not right, you actually stop and go, what's going on? And instead of rushing, I'm a big believer in take your time. We have plenty of time. Nobody is rushing unless they're transplant surgeons. Let's just take a deep breath and make our relationships solid. You know, I, I had an experience. I am thinking about, well, obviously what you're saying and what is in your book, and you're so right. We just, uh, my boyfriend and I just took a trip, and we, were, we went to Seoul, Korea, and we got on the plane, we went on Korean Airlines, and they kind of, uh, they really follow the mantra that you're talking about, this, the, 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 the flight attendants, the way they treat you, the way they, you know, serve you dinner and, and drinks, and, and, and um, so different than when we got on, I'm not going to mention the airlines, but it was coming back on, a, on an American, air, not American Airlines, but on another American airline, just the opposite, you know, sloppy and feeding us too quickly and racing around and bumping into you and all. So, you know, there you go. I mean, the next time I fly, if I have the opportunity, I'm going to go on the airlines that treated me well, not the other ones. And so I think that's an example of what you're talking about. Absolutely. You know, uh, people, people have just put no emphasis on little things. I'm a big believer in manners. I devote a whole chapter to manners, and it's resonating. I mean, people are writing me and talking about Thank God you're finally saying it. And, um, you know, manners is not just, you know, reading a book and tells you which spoon to use, but manners is knowing how to stand up when somebody enters the room and extending their hand or being polite and speaking to the waiter in a very um, uh, uh, appropriate way. I mean, I've, I, I judge people by the way they handle staff. When I mean that, I mean a wait staff or somebody who's parking the car. If you treat someone dismissively or arrogantly, I know the kind of person you are. And this can't go on anymore. And that's why I subtitled the book, Whatever Doesn't Work Here Anymore. Number one, whatever, people that are not passionate and full of energy, they're gone. And whatever was let go two years ago because he didn't, he didn't make himself indispensable. I keep telling my own children who are you know, graduates in the past few years, and they're working, and make yourself indispensable. And they'll say, Mom, how do I do that? By being on. When you get out the door, you're on. You're with it. You're connecting. You're smiling. You're extending your handshake and hello. 
People walk around in a fog, they look at their Blackberry, they don't reach out and build bridges, and later on, that comes back to haunt them. I really feel very passionate about what I wrote, because passion is probably the number one quality of somebody who's fabulous. They're just passionate about everything. They're passionate about a, a new fabulous bread, or they're fabulous... Uh, they're, I gave someone a sample of a, a lip balm at the gym, and she ran over to me today and said, Ellen, that lip balm is fabulous. There's like a childlike enthusiasm that passionate people have. They're not bored. They're not blasé. And we've gotten to the point where blasé is status quo. I want to kick blasé to the curb. Yes. I want people around me that care about things. Things matter, whether it's politics, whether it's quilting, whether it's, uh, baking the best brownies, whether it's going all organic, something has to matter. Something in your life has to m- set you on fire, and then you become a standout and you move towards the fabulous mountain. So why do you think that people have become less passionate? Do you think this is a generational thing? Do you think we've kind of, become, as you say, we're, we're blasé, we're, we take things for granted, we don't want to be too excited about something, it's not cool, like you said, whatever, you know, it doesn't really matter, and you hear that particularly the 20-somethings talking that way, and even younger. Um, where does that come from? How have we got, I mean, how do we get to this point, and how do we, as you say, how do we get out of it? How do we get people enthusiastic? How do we get to the whatever kind of response to living our lives? Well, I have to disagree with you uh, on the point of it's generational, because I have friends who are in my, my age bracket, which is in the 50s, who do not send me a thank you note when I have sent them a gift. Or they do not RSVP when I have sent them a handwritten invitation to come for brunch. They are, it, I don't think we should badmouth this younger generation because I've been so privileged. I have met young people through my sons who have just taken my breath away. They are so engaged and they are so appropriate in their manners. You know, it's not an age thing. It's an attitude thing. It's that you think that nothing matters and that you, whatever goes, you know, whatever. It, it, you're wrong. We're all looking at each other. We all have cell phone cameras. And even if we don't have a cell phone camera, we have a camera in our head. And when we see someone treat somebody in a dismissive way, or we think about, how come I never got a thank you note? I have called several people to make sure that they received the gift. And they've said to me, oh, yeah, yeah, it, it was really, really nice. Well, that, that's hurtful. I went out of my way for that gift. I deserve at least a little postcard of a thank you. But we think things don't matter when, in fact, everything matters. And when you make everything matter, you become fabulous. And it's not about material. I want to make that point. It's not about having a fabulous sports car or living in a big grand house. It's about a person who's fully engaged, full of enthusiasm, who's willing to step up when somebody needs help, and is authentic real, real. You know, when you talk and you've given several adjectives, I'd like to add another one because I think, Ellen, also connectedness, people who connect to you, and you you talk about that in the book, people who are warm, that quality of warmth, of really caring, of really showing some empathy, and and the word connectedness comes as opposed, which is opposite of being dispassionate about things. And when you connect to people, then they connect to you, and then things begin to happen. Well, they don't make an effort. I mean, part, part of it is that uh, people claim they're very busy, so they don't want to stop in what they're doing, which I think is just not true. We're not that busy. But 
later on, and I got to that in Chapter 11, which first I thought 10 things make you fabulous, but Chapter 11 was my personal take on why are we doing things alone and why don't we have people to support us and why haven't we built a group of people that are there to champion you when you do well and to step up when, you don't, when you're in a rut. And so I call it my board of directors. And the thing about the board is it's kind of cute. Not, my, my board members don't even know each other, but they all offer me a quality that I am lacking. If I don't know much about merchandising and retailing, I can go to a board member and say, what do I do now? And that board member is so confident about herself that she's willing to share the information. And so we need to do that. There's a reason that people are feeling lonely and feeling uh, that they're going through all these difficulties by themselves. Don't do that. It's a matter of connectedness and looking to help someone, and they will help you later on. The greatest. But don't you? But I have to interrupt you because I think one of the, the, the things that perhaps some of us are at fault with is that we are afraid to ask and afraid to say that we don't know something, so we don't ask. And obviously, then we don't get the answer and we don't get connected. We have to be able to admit to it's not even a frailty, but to be able to say, "I don't know. Can you help me?" Oh, it's so cute. I always tell these young people that come to me for coaching, they're afraid to ask. And I go, you know, if you're afraid to ask, the chances of you being obnoxious are very slim. It's the people that don't stop asking and can't figure it out for themselves. Those are the people that become a nuisance. Asking is such a great skill. I mean, I even did a little sidebar about Diana Vreeland winning the Legion of Honor. And when George Plimpton, who interviewed her, said, how'd you get it? She said, well, I asked. I was told by somebody quite reliable that you only get the Legion of Honor if you ask. There are so many opportunities to ask for things, and yet we, we, let, we, we hedge because we're afraid that we'll be rejected. But believe me, if you're rejected, you're not going to die. And number two, that will be considered um, intrusive. And it's, it's that rare, rare person that's intrusive. People love to be asked. Even Mark Twain said, how do you get a friend? You ask for a favor. I mean, this, is, this goes best common sense. We shouldn't be afraid to ask. Asking might get you where you want to go. You know, I hate to generalize, but I'm going to do this just, just so the, to make my point. But uh, one of the things that, that uh, and I had spoken to someone the other day about this, one of the problems that they, they, they attribute to perhaps women not getting ahead on their jobs, and we are talking, you know, we were talking earlier about being able to be successful in business, is because they don't ask. They don't ask for a raise. They don't ask for promotion. Even if they are qualified, even if they've done a, wonder, a great job, they, 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 they're afraid to ask, whereas men typically will ask, even if they haven't done such a great job, and then they have the opportunity to get the promotion or get the raise or, as you say, maybe be rejected, but it's not the end of the world. Absolutely. And I'm also, you know, asking borders on accumulating information. You, you, if you want to reframe it, you're not just asking, you're trying to clarify something or you're trying to build your own information bank. You know, today everybody is smart. You go to Google, I, could, I, I wanted to know who Otto Preminger was married to last night because I have a picture of me with Otto Preminger and I thought he was married to Gypsy Rosely. He wasn't. He's actually his son. Uh, was the child of Gypsy Rosalie. I don't know. It was very complicated. But <laughs> the point is, I, 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 in, in one second, I knew the answer to the question. So if everybody is smart, now how do, you, how do you get in front of people? How do you make yourself the standout? Well, you know what? 
It doesn't come from being smart. It comes from attitude. Aptitude is great. But if somebody comes to apply for a job and they're just so brimming with enthusiasm and energy and they're willing to take a lower position if it's necessary, you know what? You'll cut them a lot of slack. You'll cut them a lot of slack. But I just want to say a point about businesses and their complaints. I think a lot of the businesses that have struggled over the years, the, 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 um, if the chicken has come home to roost. How many times have I walked into a store where no one says hello or greets me with any thought, sort of enthusiasm? You know, when you're running a store, it's a show. It's a Broadway show. The curtain is open and the actors are on stage. You have to act that you are interested that I've walked into your store. I've walked out of so many stores that they were too busy talking to each other. They had no interest in speaking to me. We can't do that. That's what I mean. We, we, or we, too, everything's or viral. too busy I'm putting a merchandise about on the that experience. and not talking to the customer. I've done the same thing. I have found that when the economy... Is when the economy gets is not so good, then all of a sudden people in retail stores or restaurants or wherever pay more attention to you. But as soon as things start getting better, let's economically, it's sort of you know the reverse begins to happen. They pay less attention to you and take you for granted as a customer. It, it's 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 a dismissal. It's a rudeness. It's a, it's again it's under manners. It's um, how to treat people with with respect. No matter what the economy is like, there has to be a sense of engagement, of interest, and empathy, and connectedness. Otherwise, you know what? The person walks in, and the person walks out. And you, you get the feeling that, I guess, my money wasn't good enough. I've actually said to a saleswoman, is anyone interested in taking my money? Yeah. And then suddenly they wake up and go, oh, yes, yes, I'm available. Well, that's pretty pathetic. And you know what? If you're, if you're a fabulous saleswoman, you've already sized me up. You already know what I'm probably interested in, and you're rushing to try to get it for me. So a fabulous person is deeply empathic and almost is so intuitive they can figure out what's going on in the other person's life. It's a gift. It's a gift. But I give you all the tips on how you can heighten your awareness to other people and stop looking in the BlackBerry because it doesn't, it's not going to give you the kind of feeling that you get when you're face-to-face with someone and they look in your eyes and they make you feel validated. Ellen, you, besides writing this book, you also, uh, in what, 2003 founded, and you just mentioned that, launched an executive coaching firm for business leaders. Yes. Give us some examples, like, you know, specific, can you, I mean, not naming clients necessarily, but give us some examples of how this whole, uh, you know, how to be fabulous fits into your executive coaching. Well, I'm a, I'm a big believer, as Shakespeare was, in leadership. And I've written, I've, I, I'm sorry, read many of his plays that had to do with leadership. And unfortunately, there's a vacuum of leadership in many companies. They, uh, the leaders uh, close their doors. They don't leave them open. People get very nervous. They don't uh, call meetings to let them know what's happening. Um, leaders have a really big job. They have to motivate their their staff, but they have to mobilize their 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 passion for the for the product. And there was a piece in the Times yesterday about whether happy people are more efficient than unhappy people. Now, what what? Of course, happy people are more efficient when you are having a great time at work. And I don't mean because you're drinking wine during the day, but just that you're surrounded by smart, interested, you know, challenging people. 
you're going to work more efficiently. And the leader is the one that has to set that stage. He cannot be the kind of person that's abrupt or um, maybe has a social ineptness. Those people just can't mobilize the, the forces. They have to step out of that and stretch a little bit and uh, make people feel like real, it, everything, they're in it together. And, you know, that's it's very military. We're in it together. And that's why people keep re-enlisting. They love the feeling of having their foxhole buddies and everybody yes. watching each other. Well, you, you talk about being fabulous for the, for the leaders and all for those of us who, who may be applying for jobs. Um, so, But you also say that no one is born fabulous. So you have to acquire these skills. What can we do as parents? What can we do... Uh, we'll start with what can we do as parents, as a society, to promote this from the beginning, not having to start with people at 30 or 40 or 50 and say, hey, if you want to get what you want to get, then you have to be fabulous. What do we do for the young kids? How do we cut, promote this kind of, a, of, of an attitude? Well, right, right away, a, a p- parenting should take, uh, make sure that the child is aware of good manners and uh, a very positive attitude and uh, making sure they're, they're stiff and polished and they go to school appropriately and they're not wearing tight little shirts and, you know, short little pants. I mean, they show respect to the teacher. And then as they get older, I really believe in the dinner talk conversation and making sure that you talk about things that, that matter, people's feelings, uh, things that went on in school, some, some child who's recently lost a parent, and say, well, what can we do for that child? What would be helpful? What do you think? What, and ask them to empathize and, and feel, feel something for somebody else. Don't con- I hear too many people talking about what this one got and the car they're getting and the vacation they're taking. Those are so meaningless to me. I, I think you have to start very young and teaching your kids to be um, alive and, and centered but also connected to the world at large. And too many kids just, are, just haven't been taught. So, you know, I wasn't born with a silver spoon in my mouth. This is, all, this is all observations of people that I've met along the way that blew me away either by their energy, panache, style, warmth, uh, just their confidence in themselves. And I said, I've got to write this down because this is a primer. We can't afford to be just an ordinary person. We have to be extraordinary. It matters right now more than ever before. Okay. So how, well, let me, Ellen, well, then how does our, our way of communication or communicating fit all of this today? I am in texting, emailing, sexting, uh, how does it, a voicemail, all of those kinds of things, because those don't seem like real kind of uh, fabulous ways necessarily of connecting with other people. How does that fit into all of this? Well, one of the biggest things that, have, that shocked people is by my suggesting that with an email, by the way, that's a great question, um, that they not start with the bottom line. That means start the email with, hello, how, hope, all, hope you had a great vacation. The subject line is your headline. It flags the reader's attention that this is something that's worth reading. And plus, you brand yourself. You make sure that your emails are all grammatically correct, and you check the spelling, and you check the... If that goes for texting, too. Um, I always make sure that even a text is absolutely perfect. I take care with everything I do because it's, it's an extension of me. And maybe you never met me, but you will get something from me, even virtually. As far as voicemails go, I'm 
adamant on the subject. I'm evangelical on the subject. Don't leave long voicemails. Nobody wants to listen to that. Your name, why you're calling, your phone number, repeat the phone number, have a nice day, hang up the phone. Wow, when I get one of those voicemails, I'm so relieved, other than having to wait through a whole stream of consciousness kind of conversation to themselves about what's going on. Unless you have plenty of time, I don't. Uh, but I really believe on the branding thing. I think that, you know, people say, oh, it went into spam. Um, I, don't think, I don't think emails went into spam. Some do, but most don't. The fact of the matter is you haven't branded yourself as a person that delivers, uh, that attaches a file, that tells you something whimsical and fun, who's not just bottom line or one word answers like, sure. I mentioned that in the book. I've get, I have a colleague of mine. Everything I ask her is, sure. And I never know if she's mad that I wrote her or <laughs> eager to do it. She leaves me very confused, and I waste far too much time trying to figure out where she is in, in the moment. And you know what? After a while, I, I stop looking at her email because I know it's going to just lead me to more therapy and figuring it out. And Forget about it. It's not worth it. Well, would you confront someone like that? And I don't mean necessarily confront maybe is not a good word, but would you, you uh, approach someone who gave you that kind of a response? And, and, uh, I have. I've, I've, I've asked her if... Um, is that a is that a good sure or is that a bad sure? Have I interrupted you? Have I have I intruded upon you? Or are you eager to do it? And of course, she uh, always says, "No, no, I'm eager to do it." And then five weeks later, she goes back to sure. Um, she claims it's because she's very busy, but you know what? She's not fabulous. She's not fabulous. The people Who's that are fabulous, fabulous person you've met deliver. They deliver. They give you a little something. They give you a little sweet. You know when you go to a restaurant and they give you a little something, a little taste of something before they serve you? That's what the emails do. They give you a little taste of you. And you give them a taste of you that makes them say, ooh, this person is amazing. Oh, this person is fun. Or this person's clever. Or this person is really competent. I asked for something and she not only sent me the link, but she attached the article. You know, that's that's all this is branding ideas and this is how we extend this is how we move from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And it takes time. I'm not gonna say it doesn't take time, but at the end of the night, when you look back on it, you say, I gave everything hundred and twenty percent. Sure you're gonna go to sleep early because you're tired, but you feel like you've really been on your game. And too many people just think it doesn't matter. So, Ellen, who and and who is the most fabulous? And I don't know if you could answer this question, but who would you say maybe I was the most fabulous person that you've met recently, or maybe that there are several that you can give us examples of that we'd be familiar with? Well, I, I, I don't even know. I don't know her last name, but I will tell you a quick anecdote. I was sitting by the pool of a hotel I had stayed in for two days, and I was reading a marvelous book. And I realized that we were not going to make our reservation in time because my husband was doing something with his car. So I called the restaurant and told them we wouldn't be able to make the reservation. A woman walked over to me, a total stranger, and said to me, excuse me, but you look so interesting. And I heard you talking to a restaurant. Would you be willing to share the name of the restaurant with me? Now, I looked at this woman and it was like, Fireworks were coming out of her face. This woman 
came over. First, she complimented me, which is a great way to, you know, engage with someone. And then she said, you know, would you be able to give me the name? She asked for something. And I could see this is a woman who's very, I'm sorry, I I could not connect with her again. I left my uh, business card hoping that I could somehow tell her that she was really fabulous because of her confidence, because of her panache. And I, these are the people that, I don't even know these people's names, but they, they stand out in my mind and they make me work harder, make, maybe even work a little harder to be as fabulous as she is because she was really, she was really the real deal. She was the real deal. And I'm right. not talking about, these are not celebrities. These are not people that I, I certainly don't know from, from a personal level. But I, but I you know um, you worked with a lot of celebrities, and I know you got your start in, in uh, working yes. with Liz Smith. Um, I did. I did my start. Gossip columnist, and so I assume obviously you've associated with a lot of high-profile kinds of people and celebrities. Any that you that stand out to you that you would say, "Wow, that is a fabulous person." Well, I had the great good fortune a couple of years ago of sitting next to Meryl Streep in a student production at Northwestern University where her daughter Mamie was attending. My son was attending at the same time, and she sat next to me. I didn't know, I didn't know where she was going to be seated, but it turns out she was two seats away from me. And she sat in the chair with her other daughters, and I noticed that her boots were scuffed. You know, they were just casual. Her bag was ordinary. They were on the floor. But the thing that, that drove, made me absolutely wild with ecstasy was that after the show, she asked to meet the entire cast. And I was watching her speak to each cast member and said something specific to that person. I love when you entered and you moved right into the uh, character or that moment when you took a breath and let the word settle. Every person got a personal hello, a personal congratulations, a wishing of good luck to me. This woman is an icon. She could have easily have waited for her daughter and stepped into her limo. She didn't. She waited to tell every student how much their performance meant to her. And to Ellen, me, that is a great, great example. I mean, I have, and we have to say goodbye, but I'm really glad that you kind of left us with that example because I always thought of Meryl Streep as being that kind of a person. You know, that's the persona that she gives off. She really and, is. And to hear you she say really that, is. I guess it, it just validates it. But um, I want to mention your book one more time because it is. It's a great book. You've got great testimonials also. The Essentials of Fabulous because whatever doesn't work here anymore. And it's Ellen Lubin Sherman. Thanks so much for being on the show this morning. Really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. I enjoyed being with you as well. Okay. Talk Bye. to you soon. We're going to take a short break uh, because coming up next, we have our next guest who is here, Dr. Stephen Weiss. He's a Ph.D., and he's created a new personality tool for human development, leadership training, and team building. Uh, It's called the Weiss Motivation Profile, or RMP. And as I said, we're going to find out, well, what is it exactly and why do we need it? I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with the microphone. You're listening to VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. We'll be back in a minute. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. Tune in every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time for The Growth Strategist with Aldana Ambler. On the show, Aldana and some of today's top business professionals will discuss some of today's most pressing business issues that hold you, the business owner, back. Aldana will also give you 21 ways to grow with her list of growth strategies. Grow smart, grow profit, and grow your business with Aldana Ambler and the Growth Strategist every Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. If you'd like to join our conversation this morning, call now. The toll-free number is 866-472-5788. That number again is 866-472-5788. We're back. I'm Catherine Zox, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. I'm your social worker with a microphone. And you are listening on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio every Wednesdays at 10 a.m., Eastern Live. Joining me this morning, Dr. Stephen Rice, Ph.D. He has uh, created a new personality tool for human development, leadership training, and team building called the RMP, or the Reese Motivation Profile. So, as I said, we're going to find out what it is and why do we need it and what can it do for us. Dr. Reese was uh, graduated from Dartmouth College, Yale University, and Harvard Medical School, Currently, he is the executive director of the World Society of Motivation Scientists and Professionals, and you can go to motivationscience.org for more information. Welcome to the show. Stephen, I'm going to call you Stephen. Nice to have you on this morning. Hi. Nice to meet you. So we're going to be talking about motivation, and and obviously that's important today with everything that's going on. Uh, We all need to be motivated either to get jobs or to stay in the jobs that we have, Um, you know, in these kind of downturned economic times. So um, what is this new personality tool? What, what, what is it? Why do we need it? And who can use it? Okay. What, um, the, the Reese Motivation Profile, or what we call RMP, uh, evaluates what motivates anyone. It's uh, the only comprehensive evaluation of um, what motivates you if you take it for self-discovery or what motivates uh, an employee or a friend or or in a relationship, uh, a spouse, a partner, and so on. Um, when we know what motivates you, you can, you can from that, uh, derive uh, many personality traits, values, and you can um, anticipate behavior in a very wide range of circumstances, uh, relationships, work behavior, school behavior, athletic, health, uh, almost any behavior because... Um, uh, everything you do is an expression of, of what's motivating you. 
right, so this works, as you say, in all areas of our lives, work, family, relationships, uh, sports psychology, I think you talk about also. So give us an example. Talk to us like you, if one of, we would take this test. It's sort of like the, the uh, uh, test that we would take to find out what are the factors, the personality factors that motivate us. Right. Um, let's say if we're talking about a company, uh, a supervisor could look at what motivates the supervisor and what motivates, say, a worker they're not getting along with. And um, by understanding the other person's motives, you get a much more understanding of their behavior. And so you get mutual understanding, and that tends to lessen conflict and reduce problems and help people uh, get along. Uh, in a school situation, if you have a, a student who is not doing well, you, uh, it, it's usually not that the student has no motivation, it's that the student has some other motivation in school. And uh, you can learn what that motivation is, and you can uh, plan interventions. Uh, in a marriage, uh, just like the worker and the supervisor, you can um, find out if you and your partner, where you're on the same page and where you're basically uh, pulling in different or maybe even opposite directions. So, so, Stephen, so what, Stephen, what kinds of questions are asked to find out what motivates us? What are the criteria? Well, um, we, uh, we got the questions by asking. We started off asking people what motivates them. We gave them a list of everything we could imagine, and then uh, we discovered we, we only needed to look at 16 uh, motives. And those are uh, motives about uh, how much you want to be accepted by other people, how curious you are, how much uh, you're motivated to eat, uh, how motivational is family life, uh, honor, if you're motivated by, to, to have outstanding character, uh, idealism, uh, independence, orderliness, physical activity, uh, willpower, uh, romance, Savings, social contact, social status, uh, tranquility, and vengeance. Those, those are the 16 motives, and from those we can, um, all motives are combinations of those 16. So let's give some, you know, as a social worker, I'm always interested in the case histories of an example. Let's take uh, maybe not a work example, but a couple, a couple who comes in for counseling, for marital counseling, who is not so they are not getting along. So they took each one of them, took the, your test individually, um, the RMP, Reef Motivational Profile. Right. Um, and they came out with, they're motivated by very different things. One is motivated by, you know, curiosity and family life and honor, and the other one is, you know, physical activity and vengeance and, and something else. Then what do you do? Well, um, you, if, you're, if you have very different motives, you're going to tend to disrespect each other and you're going to quarrel because um, everybody thinks their motives lead to the greatest happiness for themselves. So what they do is they try to change the other person to uh, appreciate uh, what they appreciate. And so you end up with a lot of conflict where there are very big differences. Um, generally, it would be a good idea for people to pair up to similarly-minded individuals. Because if you don't, you'll have the same arguments over and over and over again. So if one person, say, is, uh, has a strong motive for power, that person's ambitious. And if another person has a weak motive, that person is laid back. 
the ambitious person doesn't respect the laid-back person, and the laid-back person doesn't respect the ambitious person, and that that particular couple is going to quarrel about uh, how hard each other does or does not work, about career issues over and over and over again. A very uh, high-power person could become a workaholic, and the spouse is unlikely to appreciate that, for example. Um, so if you test out that way, uh, you can understand that, that, you're going, that you have that quarrel, that the quarrel is deeply rooted in your value system, and um, either you are going to emphasize some other areas of life and learn to tolerate uh, the difference, uh, or you're uh, going to uh, part ways because, because it's, uh, you really can't change someone's motives. There's nothing to, to motivate to change. So, uh, so if you have a big difference, uh, you end up with a quarrel that just keeps coming back. It's, it's the same quarrel, and, and it never really goes away. Now, does this would, all, would this also apply in a work situation? If you have a, a boss who's motivated by something different than, say, the employee, and the boss is dissatisfied with the employee's work, and they sit down and they talk, would they both take this, this t- uh, personality test and find out what motivates each one of them and, and maybe come to some, well, maybe, you know, understanding of why it's not working. And as you say, maybe the employee has to leave the job. Is that, right, is that something exactly that the right. tool it, is used? It, the motives, you're, you compare the motives of any two people in any situation, work, uh, romance, uh, an athletic team, any two situations. And if they have a long-term relationship, the differences are going to be conflict and misunderstanding. Now, we can help people uh, understand, and that will lessen the conflict uh, so that you realize that the other person, uh, why the other person is really doing what they're doing. So if some, let's say you have a worker who comes late or comes at different hours a lot, and so you think the person doesn't care about work. Well, that may not be true at all. It just may be that the individual doesn't care about timeliness, and, um, and that's, that's actually unrelated to how much they care about work. And so if the boss, if he, can, if he uh, tolerates that, then he can see, well, okay, um, the person really does care about the job, and so you, the misunderstanding is lessened and replaced with understanding. But if the boss really cares a lot about orderliness, uh, he may just say, well, you've got to go, or, or you know, um, he could say, you're going to toe the line uh, or else, but the person isn't going to toe the line. The, People behave in accordance with their motives. Sooner or later, they they go they revert back to who they really are. And um, uh, what what you really need to do in a counseling situation is is not try to change people, but try to get them into situations where they can thrive. So the boss, if you have someone who likes flexibility, can put the person on flex on tasks that permit flexibility. So you don't have to change them. So you don't have to have conflict. So it's a lot about matching people to situations where just the way they are, they will thrive, as opposed to the traditional approach in social work, psychology, psychiatry, which is to change people. And uh, it's very hard to change people. Well, I think the example of the work situation is, is really a good one because you just may have the employee in the wrong it's the wrong fit for that particular job in the company, but would be a great fit for someplace else. They don't necessarily have to be fired, but you have to understand what motivates them. And I think another thing is, 
as you're talking about these, you know, what motivates people. I think uh, for me personally, when I begin to understand what motivates them, it, it kind of dissipates maybe the anger that I have towards them for what I feel they're doing something against me personally, and it really doesn't ha- has little to do with me, whether it's in a work situation or even in a, uh, you know, a personal situation, and has more to do with with them. Yeah, I, that's exactly the point. That that that's um, with understanding comes a, a diffusion of the conflict. Doesn't necessarily remove a value conflict, but at least you understand where the other person is coming from, and it does, I think, uh, significantly lessen the anger. And you know, companies waste an awful lot of time because their employees are trying to to sabotage each other. Uh, this this is a very powerful tool on all kinds of relationships. We get uh, more than 85% agreement with, with our reports. Uh, you know, when we test uh, people and they look at they look at how they relate to someone else. You are, you know we're talking about businesses, but I mentioned earlier and and uh, you this also relates to sports psychology. How does this how does this motivational test relate to 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 sports psychology. Well, we match uh, athletes to situations, athletes to, um, uh, you know, positions on a team. So suppose, for example, we have a player who is uh, very high on um, what we call vengeance, very aggressive player. Uh, that, that player is particularly under stress, is going to, to uh, go right to their value. In other words, they're going to hit somebody. Now, if you're a coach, and uh, you're at, say, at the end of a game, and you can't afford a penalty, you know that player is at risk of committing a penalty. So like what, what's done in um, Major League Sports where this is used is uh, they assign another uh, player on the team that as soon as the player is over to go to the player who might commit a penalty and get them away from everybody so that they don't get a penalty at a very bad uh, point in time. It could also be used to, like, pick the leader, pick the captain, uh, decide, you know, um, who, uh, uh, like, if you, have, if you have to run a precise pass route in football, you really have to be high in order. If you don't like precision, if you devalue precision deep down, sooner or later you're not going to be very good at running uh, precision routes, but particularly uh, when you account the stress. People learn to kind of compensate for these sorts of things, like I'm not good at running precision routes, but you practice and you learn to compensate for it. But when you get under stress, you kind of revert back to who you are. So it's really uh, coaches really need to to know uh, what to expect from their players in that situation, and players, particularly young players, uh, need to know what their tendencies are so they can start working on correcting them at the earliest possible age. So do some of the or many of the professional teams use your uh, this uh, personality tool? These are uh, kind of new ideas and new tools. Uh, with regard to sports, we have one, one fellow won an Olympic gold medal in uh, Beijing who use, uses this, Matthias uh, Steiner, and the German national team, weightlifting team, uses this method. Um, we have a number of professional soccer teams in Europe, uh, major league soccer teams who use it, and we have, I believe right now, two national teams are using it, uh, Dutch soccer and um, someone from handball. I'm not sure exactly uh, what country that is. Uh, and now it's being uh, introduced 
um, in the in the United States um, uh, here. Um, it, it involves training up, you know, psychologists, training up sports psychologists, because people uh, in psychology are taught to are not taught to think about motivation. Um, it, it's like the stepchild of the social sciences. It's amazing how many brilliant uh, psychologists and and so on have uh, said many you know smart things about people, but not about motives. I mean, you know, when it came to motives, Freud Freud copped out. He just said, "Well, everything is sex," which obviously is not true, and then everything is sex and aggression, which is also not true. And um, you know, Maslow talked about motives, but he didn't actually conduct any research on it. So, so motives have, have been the, the stepchild of, um, of the social science, and that means we really have a big training job to try to train up, you know, social uh, psychologists, in this case, sports psychologists, to use, to use these methods. Um, uh, the athletes can also, though, take, take the test directly and learn what their tendencies are. And this is very good for young people to do because they're the ones who can try to correct them uh, you know, at an early age. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, uh, listening to you, it, it just sounds like there are so many uses for this tool, and I, I guess that you've really it's what, been introduced in Europe, and now you're doing it more here in the United States. Um, you're a, you're, you um, graduated from Harvard Medical School. What was your area of expertise? I'm a I'm a PhD psychologist. I did a, a clinical internship at Harvard Medical. Um, I, gra- I got my PhD from Yale. And so, this tool, obviously, when you were getting your degree, was not available. Um, this is something fairly recent, fairly new. Uh, how did you get into this? Well, I, um, I I wondered. I started to wonder, like, what were the you know basic motives. Of, um, that drive people, and uh, of course, I wasn't the only one who thought of that. But then we did uh, something very unusual. We actually asked people. We're the only people to study motivation based on what other people said. You know, Freud interviewed some patients. He didn't really go around asking people what motivates them. Um, Maslow, you know, spoke to a few of his friends. We, we have now uh, assessed over 35,000 people in various continents, and they told us what motivates them. And from that, we were able to um, identify these 16 motives, and we learned that they pretty much explain uh, all motivation. And then as, as time went on, we started to realize how to connect it into all, project it into all of these practical applications, which, which is taking years. I mean, it's not obvious. And, um, uh, and now we realize that this is a very, you know, a very powerful tool because we've been using it for years, and in, especially in, in Europe is where it's been used. And um, uh, it's being introduced right now into Asia, and we're introducing it into the United States. Well, now you're part of this this group, the uh, you, the executive director of the World Society of Motivation Scientists and Professionals. Where are you? And I'll mention the website again, motivationscience.org. Well, the, the website is motivationscience.org, uh, and um, we uh, we have a conference coming up. Anyone wants to go, come go in Vienna um, next month, and um, the various applications will uh, will be there'll be people presenting on it. Uh, especially uh, in business, the corporations in Europe uh, is 
is the most developed of the applications, uh, frankly, because they're the ones who hire people. And so um, people who've liked my work have been able to find jobs with corporations. And so uh, the motivationscience.org website will, will direct you to it. Well, I, I would think that in today's economy, it's really important to have this information because as companies downsize or they let go of people and they're hiring fewer people, you want to be really clear about who you're hiring and why you're hiring and what motivates them. So uh, it seems like this is uh, this, this kind of research and, and now this tool is just very timely. Yeah, when, when you think of any organization, how much uh, resources are wasted because the people don't work well together. Um, you know, uh, this, 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 this should significantly lessen that. It um, doesn't eliminate that, obviously, but significantly lessen it. And th- there's just so much interpersonal not liking of, you know, not liking other people and so on. I, I, at the medical school, I remember I was, uh, someone came in and my boss got a phone call and I asked him what it was about. And he said, Oh, someone was complaining that this doctor was a jerk. So I said to him, well, what did you say? And he said, well, I said, well, if I fired doctors who were jerks, I wouldn't have too many doctors left. <laughs> I mean, it just that everyone, you know, is thinking, oh, that guy's a jerk, or I don't like this guy, and so on. And, and that really lowers the performance of, of a business. And this tool definitely is, is, is going to lessen that. Uh, the way, especially the way uh, you mentioned by reducing a lot of the anger as people realize that what the other person is doing is not personal. They just have, they're different from me. They have a different value. It, it also applies to the, you know, parent-child relationship, it, you know, raising, whether it's young children or raising teenagers, for instance, because, you know, you think about that's a difficult or emotionally tumultuous time in, uh, usually in many families. And so uh, it would be interesting to use this tool with, with parents and teenagers because they definitely, it seems to me, are, are, have the different motivations for the way they behave and, and, and react. Right. It's very tough because um, we, the natural human tendency is to think that your values are best, okay? The saver has always been happy saving, is almost never happy spending. So the saver looks at the spender and says, how can you possibly be like that? And the spender loves to spend and is always feels constrained and unhappy and unsatisfied saving. So they look at each other thinking the other person has chosen an unhappy path. They know what is the happy path. And so they try to change each other. Now, when you're in the parent-child relationship, that, that effort to change goes on and on and on. Now, uh, we don't deal with, with very young children. But by the time somebody is 15 and 16, if you haven't changed them yet, you won't change them. But parents just keep fighting with their, with their uh, uh, children to change. So you have adults who have parents who are still trying to change them. They write wills that try that say you can't get the money, you know, unless you, unless you, do, uh, you do this and you change and you become my values. And sometimes parents are just much better off realizing that they have a child who is different than them, who, is, who isn't the same, who can't enjoy the things they enjoy and who enjoys different things. And the real issue for them is are they going to fight with that child forever or are they going to accept the child? And so um, I think that, that um, you know, that's something everyone has to work out for themselves. But the, um, this kind of analysis really 
uh, identifies, pinpoints exactly why you're having the same fight over and over again. Yeah. So, in other words, sit down, figure out what motivates you. I mean, it sounds, as you said, it's a lot of work and many years of research and and questioning and thousands of people that you've talked to, but, you know, it, it does boil down to that. I mean, it seems so simple. I mean, if you really do understand what made, motivates you or others, you, you certainly are going to have a, uh, an, an opportunity to be able to get along and be more productive. Anyway, we have to say goodbye. This was, uh, I really enjoyed talking to you. Stephen Reese, Ph.D., and you are currently the Executive Director. Right. I'll mention this again of the World Society of Motivation Scientists and Professionals. Website is motivationscience.org. And um, he's, Dr. Reese has created this new personality tool, as we've been discussing, for human development, leadership training, team building, all sorts of things. I think we added on to that here on the show. And uh, it's the Reese Motivation Profile. Thanks so much for joining me this morning. Okay. Well, thank you very much for having me. Yeah, great to have you. Okay. Uh, we're going to say goodbye. I'm Catherine Zox. You've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show here on VoiceAmericaVariety.com and World Talk Radio. Have a great week, and uh, we'll see you next Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock Eastern Time, live. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of the Catherine Zox Show. You can listen live every Thursday morning at 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America channel. Want to know more about Catherine? Visit her website at www.catherinezox.com. Be sure to join us next week for more interviews and great conversations with Catherine Zox. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.